Hi, and welcome back to Climbversations as we kick off our Onward series, highlighting ways to cultivate resilience and educators from Elena Aguilar's book, Onward. This is a disclaimer that we are in a building with construction. So we have a few strange noises in the first half of this episode before we were able to rectify our location. I'm really excited for all of our listeners to hear this content. Let's take a listen now. Hi, welcome to our first official episode of Climbversations with the Onward series. I have two of our awesome team members, Sam. Hi. And Carrie. Hello. Okay. Hey, Carrie. Um, And we're just so excited to kick off this series. We are going to be diving in to a book called Onward, Cultivating Emotional Resilience in Educators by the amazing Elena Aguilar. And this book was first brought to my attention three years ago by a social studies teacher on a campus that I was an administrator at. And she brought it to my attention. I had no idea it was even out there. It had just been written. And of course, now in a pandemic, it's so timely. And so when kind of just sharing with our team about this book, we wanted to offer it to the district in several different modalities. And then obviously on this podcast for all of our listeners, just because the it's so important, the content's so important for not just educators, but honestly, everyone and everyone right now, just cultivating emotional resilience as a professional and in your career is so important to the success of individuals. So we're going to dive in. And just to give you a little bit of context, this book is written as a book and she also has an accompanying workbook with daily activities to cultivate emotional resilience and thrive. And the book has a conceptual framework with four parts about who we are, where we are, what we do and how we are, and it identifies 12 habits and dispositions that really can be cultivated in order to build resilience. She does organize it by month of the school year, but I don't want that to deter any listeners that are not educators because all of the topics of the book and some of those go from knowing yourself, understanding emotions, riding the waves of change, celebration and appreciation, building community, focusing on the bright spots, et cetera. All of those concepts can be applied to anybody in any profession or situation. So chapter six really talks about navigating negative mindsets and taking care of yourself as a, as an educator. So I'll start off by reading a letter that she wrote to herself And she wrote it to herself in her third year of teaching. This is the author, Elena Aguilar. And she wrote, you will not save the world by working yourself to the bone. You can't be patient and attentive with kids and deliver carefully crafted, differentiated lessons and keenly capture formative assessment observations if you're congested, hungry, achy, weepy, phlegmy, jittery, and have burning eyes from sleep deprivation. You won't be an amazing teacher if you work until you can't stand up. So Sam and Carrie, when reading and hearing this author's letter to herself at the beginning of the chapter, what kind of thoughts did it bring up for you? Um, I'll go ahead and go. (laughs) Um, One thing that I thought about, like I, I, it made me reflect on my first year of teaching. It wasn't a traditional start 
um, like most people, I started in the middle of the year and um, I started as a para for like a week and then I jumped into a teaching position. So um, I think it just reminded um, my, like just reminded me that maybe it's a reflection that all teachers need to do at some point is write a letter to themselves, like during a very tough time and just provide some perspective um, because you can be reflective and go about it in a way to where you can be real with yourself, but sometimes you have to put it in words. And so that's just kind of, it made me think back to that time when I started my teaching and what I thought in those first few weeks to myself and finally getting my groove um, into getting started with my teaching career. Yeah, I love that you said put it down in words because as much as people say, like, tell your message, if you don't write it down and then you can be able to reflect on it later, it does make the message a little harder to internalize. Carrie, what kind of thoughts does it bring up for you? Well, I immediately just thought of all of the teachers um, going through this pandemic and um, having to learn this new way of hybrid teaching and balancing their work life and their home life and wanting to do what's best for their kids. Um, and just, I know my friends that are on campuses are just working themselves to the bone because, um, you know, they're professionals and they hold themselves to really high standards and they want to make sure that they're they're doing that for their kids every day. Um, and I, I actually thought about, um, I'm reading and going through a lot of um, reflections in our new teacher mentor Schoology course. And there are a lot of teachers that have a really great outlook um, on this pandemic and they're very positive and they are admitting that they're working too long <laughs> and too hard. And they're acknowledging the fact that they do need some more time for self-care. Um, and I thought that was really great that I think we're to a point now in this whole situation that we can see um, we can see that we need balance and we can see the way that, you know, not sleeping and working too much on weekends and, you know, taking time away from our family is starting to affect, you know, the job that we're doing um, each day. So I, I was excited to see that people are talking about self-care and that people are understanding um, the time that they need to devote to it. And I was also excited that there was a lot of um, teachers who have such a positive outlook um, on this situation and just their love for kids and their love for teaching. And I hope that they're spreading that positivity with their colleagues and their PLTs and on campus because, you know, you never know that one day that one teacher that you say, good morning, or you're doing a great job, that could be like the one thing that that keeps them going through that day. So that I hope that um, everyone's sharing those those views as well. So that's kind of what it made me think of. Yeah, I like that you're highlighting that there are people out there that are really trying to have this flexible mindset of like, okay, this is what it is. I know what I'm doing. And I think it's a great connection that you're saying to highlight it with other people, because if we're not sharing the positivity or just the, the, the process of our minds with others, then we're not helping or supporting and I think, too, I don't want people to hear this and think, well, it's okay to identify it, but if there is no solution, which sometimes in this pandemic, there are situations that we find ourselves in, there is no solution. The work is not going anywhere. The structure is rigid because of whatever the case is in the situation. It's not to deter the fact that this is a challenge, but I think just hearing, like, regardless, you can 
be in a sustainable in a sustainable um, mentality with not getting sleep, becoming sick. I mean, that that's just not how our bodies are wired. And so, you know, I think back, Carrie, to you and I having a conversation about an educator saying there's not enough time. And, and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions with taking care of yourself is that you don't have to go out and go get an hour long massage or, you know, take an hour and a half to read a book in a quiet room with a candle on, because I don't think any of us have that time. And if you do, please email me because I want to know where that time is. Um, but I think it's just important to highlight that, like, you have to name it. This is not sustainable if you are not taking care of yourself in one way or another. So I love that she kind of addresses that. And, and really, November is such a time where dis- disillusionment sets in for educators. And she kind of dives into that as well. And I'm sure that's probably across the board, no matter what profession you're in. But mostly for, you know, teachers, because you're coming off of that high from the year beginning and it being exciting to you know, really starting to move into a stressful situation of, okay, now we're in this semester. So one of my favorite parts of this chapter, she talks about uh, martyrdom and she says to hell with martyrdom. That's the name of the section of this chapter. But basically she starts diving into, you know, some people ignoring their own health, but then turning into a savior bearing the scars and needing ple- pleading for recognition. And these people are the people that you hear say like, no one appreciates how hard I work. I'm the first one here and the last to leave every day. Or I don't even see my own kids because I'm so busy taking care of other people's kids. Or I can't take a day off my office, my classroom, my campus would crumble. And again, it's, it doesn't mean that if you say that comment one time, that means you're a martyr, but it's these people that just are drowning in these mentalities that they're the only ones who are the busiest, the only ones who are stressed, the only ones going through a challenging time and they can't get out of it. And so there's a lot to unpack here. Um, You know, martyrs are usually righteous and self-sacrificing whether they realize it or not. And it's important to notice the dangers that come with martyrdom because it can be a deficit first to mindsets of students and communities because that martyrdom can be applied to like, the kid, save the school, um, but also can undermine the health of the staff that you work on. If you're the martyr constantly walking around saying, you know, how you're basically divine in some way, superior because you're the busiest, hardest working, most creative out of everybody, you're detailing these sacrifices and suffering and it's exhausting but then also can just kill you because if you are internalizing these messages and communicating them out, for example, I stayed up all night grading these papers and then, then you have to perpetuate that martyrdom comment because if you don't, then you can't keep saying that you stayed up late papers or worked all night or whatever. So that's not going to benefit anybody, especially you because not getting sleep and working all hours of the night is not how our bodies were wired. So when we're talking about that, we just have to acknowledge the origins about the movies, like the Dead Poets Society, Freedom Writers, Dangerous Minds, where it's like, you know, the teacher is a savior and they're working nonstop. And we really need to just tap into like how that's not realistic for our actual career. And the opposite of being a martyr is being a healthy person who's effective and humble and just is really there for the right reasons. So 
after kind of unpacking that content for listeners, so they kind of get an idea of what that complex is and, and how it's a dangerous place that comes from really deep origins. What kind of, like, what it, what's standing out here to you guys and this martyrdom complex content? I, I like how you brought up how they talked about the movies and highlighted that um, because I think a lot of educators, you know, uh, get really excited when you watch a movie that's dedicated to teaching, like Stand and Deliver and Freedom Riders was. But I think what is often dangerous is that while these people were definitely uh, stellar educators that did such wonderful things for students of of color and of diverse backgrounds, the other things that people tend to forget is like the things that it cost them. Um, and like stand and deliver, uh, uh, the teacher had a major health crisis while trying to do all of these things for his students to pass the calculus um, exam. And then in uh, Freedom Riders, you know, Hillary Swank, you get all excited watching her. But at the same time, you know, that teacher in real life lost her marriage due to everything that she was putting into that so um, I feel like while there is great things and while we want to be great role models sometimes the the consequences of that can be detrimental and I think people tend to forget about those things and so there has to be a balance um, when it comes to giving your all and while that's very much appreciated, is it worth losing things that are already in your life? And I think um, people tend to forget about those things. Yeah, it's a great point to highlight. Carrie, go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, I just was going to point out that I like that um, in her book, she does say that she knows that teachers are seriously underappreciated in all ways to begin with. So it's kind of like we're already you know, fighting an uphill battle, you know, we know we don't get paid enough, no, we don't have the benefits that other professions have, like, you know, we're already at this deficit. And then also we're working, you know, like I said, our our fingers to the bone with with our kids. Um, So I like that she at least acknowledges that. (laughs) And that's our starting place. But I really like the part that um, from her chapter about seeking antidotes, um, and finding role models that have a good balance and they're not necessarily um, the teachers who have their hand in everything but they're really good strong teachers who are involved but who also like we said earlier maybe aren't the last ones to leave and they have you know some good organizational skills and they have that good balance I remember um, when I was teaching in intermediate there was a member of the ELA department that I was just in awe of because like she had all of her stuff together. She, you know, was one of the best teachers that I'd ever worked with. And, she, you know, she was able to leave, you know, she went home at, at a decent hour every day and had, but was still completely prepared and had an amazing classroom the next morning. And I remember when I was able to be on a PLC with her, just like asking her, like, how do you do it? How do you do all this stuff? And it was very, it was really just a couple little things and a couple shifts that I, I could make that, it wasn't that I was, you know, um, leaving my papers ungraded or waiting till the last minute to do something. It was just little things like she would come to a meeting with, you know, an outline of what she kind of had in mind for the next week when we were planning instead of coming with a blank page. 
you know, and that got us through our planning quicker. It got us into better conversations. Um, and it was just little shifts um, that, that I could make that would help me manage my time and help me have a better balance between um, home life and work life. And I think it all, the whole martyrdom idea all stems from, we just, we just want to be as humans, we want to be noticed and we want to be recognized. And I think again, like I mentioned before, that's where we can come in um, and our colleagues for each other. Um, you don't have to be a principal or an admin on campus to acknowledge each other and to reach out and to be positive um, and help each other uh, stay stay on top of it and and notice each other. And I think that, um, you know, going to Dr. McGowan's um you know, opening words with our kickoff this year um, kind of reflects that as well. Like we need to make sure that we are seeing each other and noticing each other, especially in a time like this. All right, Carrie. Yeah, I think that you bring up some really good points about it doesn't always mean that there has to be some huge change to routine in order to change, you know, why maybe you're so stressed or busy. It can take little tweaks and your you know everyday processes to kind of make your life a little bit easier and Sam I think it's so true too what you were highlighting these movies you know a lot of times there's a focus on the sleeping part and it's so feel good I remember watching Freedom Riders and I was like yeah I'm a teacher but then like you said sometimes the things you know that people forget about those movies I totally forgot until you said something and so I think it's really important that um like like Elena says in her book cultivating a vision for your life that's holistic. And I'm happy to say like these holistic type of mentalities are becoming more popular and before they might have been looked at, you know, as weird or whatever. I mean, I've recently gotten to yoga in the last few years when I was younger, I was like, what yoga? Like, I'm not going to do that. But I like that she even names like considering working with a therapist to explore underlying emotions. And it's really important for people to really think about like, why am I drawn to martyrdom? Why do I constantly talk about how busy I am or how much I've sacrificed for my job? Why am I having to convey that to other people for attention seeking? Again, all of us have probably contributed to the martyrdom mindset. You find yourself hearing yourself and really start listening, hearing yourself saying that over and over again, or really committing to making yourself seem like a martyr for your career, it's time to do some self-examination. Was it a relationship with your parent that helped cultivate that mindset for you, which is negative? Or was it a situation in college that you went through? Like, there's got to be a reason why you're seeking attention through highlighting negative behaviors. And so I just really like that she brought that up because it's so important. All right. So let's move on to what your body needs. And we don't sit here and say all the things you can do to help you and your body. But I do like that she highlights just some basic stuff. Getting enough hours of sleep, which is so important. And it's a physiological need that no one can argue. There's so much research behind it. You know, when you're getting enough sleep, your brain is creating, consolidating memories and organizing thoughts. So if you think that you don't need sleep, like your brain needs that time to process and it needs that time to make creative connections and remote associations and unusual connections. Um, there's science and truth and the old adage, sleep on it. And I like that she's just constantly showing this research about how your brain is cleaned up when you sleep and talk 
molecules flush out of your body systems, including out of your brain. And, and I just love that she's going into all these things, obviously eating well. And I say, obviously, some people don't realize that, like, if you're eating a ton of sugar during the day, it's not good for your brain and how it's functioning. And then exercising. We all know that exercise can help and has so many better benefits. But one of my two favorite things that she talked about was, well, I'll get into those in a second. So let's, let's think, let's talk about like, which of these things do you go to and why when you're really thinking about, okay, I, I'm hitting a wall. This isn't becoming healthy for me. Like which one of them do you go to? So I am a get in the sun girl. Like yeah. I find the sun just revitalizing and just, even if it's just taking a step outside of a building or my house or whatever, and just standing on the porch or the patio for five, 10 minutes, um, taking a walk, you know, a lap around the building. Um, I, I grew up, you know, going to the pool and like being outside all the time. And so I think that just kind of re-energizes me, even if it's just small doses, um, being in the sun makes me feel like a better, a better me. <laughs> so that that's one of my favorites. Well, then I have yeah. to section for her is forest bathing. I had no idea about this until she put it in here, but I agree with you, Carrie. Sun really does it for me too. Just grew up being outside, and then especially during quarantine. Yeah, my I've always loved being outside in my backyard, but that was like my saving grace during the thousands of Zoom meetings that we had. But in Japan, for listeners who don't know this, there's a practice called. Well, I'm not even going to try to say it, but it translates into forest bathing. And it's actually of healthcare and healing in Japan. But basically, it's a medical practice that is based off of trees giving off organic compounds that support natural killer cells. It being in a forest lowers your blood pressure, improves your mood, energy, sleep, etc. If you get the book, then you'll see there's more benefits there. But they just say that like forest bathing differs from hiking because it centers on the therapeutic aspects of being in nature. But people just go into the forest and walk slowly, breathe, they open all their senses and they just really get the benefits of being in the trees. Now, obviously we don't have any major forest over here, but I think it's just really important to highlight that the sun can really do a lot to improve your mood and then just being outside in nature. Sam, what about you? Um, I have to agree. I think we we all talked about this uh, not that long ago that we all just have to get outside. And for me, it's definitely about being in nature. But if I can be in water, that is my happy place. Because like mm-hmm. anytime that I've been to the beach with my family, everyone will go into the water for a few minutes and then they get out. But I'm usually out there for the majority of the day just floating and relaxing because there's just something so calming about water to me and that's like my happy place like if I was a fish I'd probably be really happy (laughs) but um (laughs) it's just I don't know it's just I think it's like the rhythm of the waves and it's just just very um calming and like I'll go to the pool and just sit there and float all day and I just I'm so calm when I do that there's just something about it I don't know just just being around water I've always loved water but anytime I can get outside and just you know take in the sun or just be in nature just to look and see what's around me is really beneficial but if I can get in water or near water that's definitely a bonus 
Yeah. And I like that you brought that up because A, I agree with you so much. I could float forever. It's so fun to float, which she brings up in her chapter too, because she talks about flotation tanks. And if anyone's listening, who's done this, I have to know like what your thoughts are. And from what I understand, I think she said this in the book. Yes. MVP Steph Curry from the Golden State Warriors is an avid flotation tank floater. And he actually credits that practice with his like calming demeanor therapeutic but basically you go float in a tank I googled this after I after because I was like is this a thing in Houston and we actually have flotation tank store I don't even know what they're called stores places where you can pay for a monthly membership to go float in a tank for an hour and so definitely want to go try that out once this pandemic's over and I would I mean obviously you got to make sure they're like sanitary you don't float around in some like gross bath with I mean I know <laughs> maybe wait till I'm <laughs> yeah. but also says like sitting near water there's the water gives the brain a rest from overstimulation and then puts it in a meditative state so it's not just a preference I'm like this is actual science um she's even saying in here that if you can't be near running water open the windows and just get outside um, but even, you know, just purchasing a little baby waterfall for your backyard, like you can get one of those ones that like hugs into the wall, like even those little things, just hearing running water can really help as well. And even like um, those apps that they have now, like the Calm app and like the meditative apps, they have different yeah. noise, like sounds and like, you know, sound machines. Like I fall asleep to rain every night on my phone um, just Do because you? it's calming and soothing. Yeah. And they have waves and ocean. So just having that noise of like the water around me is soothing as well is it so weird that I fall asleep to static like I do the same always no. static I'm like okay that's interesting okay all right so then she kind of goes into diving into perfectionism and and I love this because it's just I think we can all relate to this one in one way or another well no I, I say that we can all not all of us that some people are just chill and they're not perfectionists but the characteristics of a perfectionist, according to her, I'm going to list those first for listeners and then we'll kind of dive But I'm upset when someone else or life in general doesn't measure up to how they think things be. So if you're listening, just think like, do you do this? Have uncompromising rules about how things should or must be. Blame themselves when things are out of control. Thinking in black and white terms discounting positives, relentlessly hard on others or yourselves or holding unrealistic standards for people using the word should a lot and claiming they're not perfectionist. I think it's important to like first, like figure out like, am I a perfectionist? And, and honestly, when talking about this earlier this morning, you can be a perfectionist in specific areas of your life. I don't think sometimes be a perfectionist all the time. But I think some people are like, oh, no, I'm not a perfectionist. But you might be a perfectionist with the tidiness of your house or the way kids dress or, you know, your organization at work. I think that sometimes it can be applied to specific areas in life than rather just saying, like, I'm a perfectionist in every area of my life. But when you think about, you know, the perfectionist and how it really causes problems, like, what is that? What do you all think of when you when you perfectionism and how it can be a dangerous, slippery slope for people? 
Well, I think the most dangerous thing about perfectionism is I think it isolates people because it's, it's such, I think an overwhelming sense of like, you have to have control and you have to have everything in such a way um, that you don't even collaborate with other people because what if they don't do it right? Or what if they don't turn it in on time? Like I think of like college projects and like the group projects, like just let me do it all because I know I'm gonna do it right. I don't need your help, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I just think that the really dangerous thing about it is because it, it can isolate um, people because they're not, they're not confident that the other person's work will live up to their expectations. Um, and I also, when I read this, that list you were reading, Monica, of like, you may be a perfectionist if, I remember before I read the list, I was like, well, I'm not a perfectionist. So I just have really high standards. And that was like one of the things on the list. So I was like, oh, just kidding. And then you're like, I'm Carrie and I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then I had to yeah, go to a meeting. But um, yeah, I just think that's the, that's what's dangerous because the isolation it can, it can cause. Well, and I think too, you bring up a good point that like a lot of times like, Yes, this kind of stuff. Like, okay, I'm perfection is that bad. But then when you like look at it, you're like, oh, okay, maybe I am. And <laughs> yeah. and it's really important to point out too that it's not a badge of honor. And I think and I've been there before where I have been a perfectionist in areas and I wore it like a badge of honor. But and this part's kind of embarrassing, but she says it in the book, like it's a dysfunctional emotional tendency. Mm-hmm. Like and when you when you put it like that, it does make you want to struggle that mindset because none of us want to be dysfunctional in our emotional tendencies and so the reason why it is because it's like it's a, such a high standard all the time cause people mental health problems and there's always a burnout I mean never gonna end in a good way because there's no such thing as perfect and I think it's really important to highlight that like perfectionism cannot be autonomous with commitment to excellence and strong work, work ethic yeah. Like people use it like I work really hard. And I'm just committed to excellence. And I, again, to be like, I've done this before as well, but like, honestly, nobody can succeed with those really high expectations and you can be conscientious, persistent without having perfection. Um, for me, I tend to be very black and white. And so pre-COVID, Sam, (laughs) as I like to uh, say about myself, is that, you know, I was very black and white. And, you know, ever since this pandemic hit, I think it's really shook me in a lot of different ways to a point of um, being uncomfortable and having to really identify things about myself to not be a perfectionist because it was literally driving me nuts of not being able to either do something I needed to do or thinking something should have gone a certain way, but it didn't. And um, I think really just thinking about those things and like, I think this pandemic, I don't want to say came at a good time for me because I don't think a pandemic is a good thing for anybody or timing, but I feel like it caused me to really focus in on myself and figure out what things I needed to let go of just for my own personal health and, you know, and think about a more global perspective and how to get through this. Cause it's not about me. It's everyone's going through this collectively. There's a collective grief that's happening. And so really taking time to really reflect and think about 
what I can do to get out of that mindset has been something that really resonated with me as I was reading this chapter as well. And so I was thinking, because I was thinking, I'm not a perfectionist. I know I make mistakes, but I am very black and white. And I didn't realize yeah. that that can also be a marker for that. And so I learned a lot about myself. Um, like I said, pre-COVID, Sam was very black and white. Now there's a little bit of gray mixed in there and also some other things going into that. But I think that, like I said, this pandemic really made me focus on what different things I had control of and that it's okay to not be black and white. So um, I think that's something that, that hit home for me. Yeah, I think you, again, are bringing up a great point. There's so much growing neuroscience research explaining that our mind will oftentimes change in response to behaviors. It's kind of like, you know, once you make up your mind to work out, then your body will follow suit kind of thing. And that's like most of the battle of exercising. It's like, do I want to go work out right now? Well, you don't want to, but change your mindset and your body will follow. And I think that you're, that's a great point. It's like positive self-perception is what she's highlighting in this chapter too. And it's like valuing your mind, heart, body, and spirit, spirit makes foster resilience. And like, if you can't, if you can't value those things and have that positive self-perception, then it's not going to help you fix it. And when you're fixing it, you want to just get real. You want to write a list of problems that perfectionism causes in your life and write a list of things that could be possible if you didn't have those tendencies. And then really, just like we said before with um, martyrdom, exploring and uprooting the origins of why you're committed to perfectionism. If this is an emotional dysfunctional tendency, what in your life has led you to this? And how can you process and unpack that situation, event, that person that's had an effect on you, family member, friend, spouse, whatever. Why are you striving so hard to make everything perfect? And then making those behavioral changes. And this sounds easy, but I love it. I think she's the one who put it in here. She's got a mantra. And it's just like telling yourself, like, this is good enough. And good enough is great. And I am enough. And I do enough. And honestly, that mantra makes me sweat a little bit because good enough is great is not something I identify to because I do want things to be top tier all the time, but that is not realistic. And I think that that's important to realize, Sam, and I appreciate your transparency of saying you really reflected after the pandemic. So if you're listening right now, that kind of wraps up this episode. I want to just highlight, we barely touched on this chapter and we cannot stress enough that if this is something that's interesting you, this book is amazing and well-written and like we don't know her <laughs> we're just advocating for this book because it's such time content and information while we're in this collective trauma together and honestly even though we're not in this collective trauma these this will probably continue because it's 12 really good reminders of habits that we can do to cultivate emotional resilience so we can't stress it enough we'll link it in the show notes for you to to buy there's a book and a workbook the workbook can help you even dive deeper into the exercises but there's again so much content we didn't even cover this is going to be the conversational side of this professional learning content um, if you want more you're actually in our school district. we're offering some more sessions don't hesitate to email one of us and we'll be happy to uh send you some information but we just want we can't say it enough that if you if you have if you have any time or you want to put this at the top of your priority list, the book is worth it. And Sam and Carrie, thank you so much for joining in our first onward series. I'm so happy to have both of you guys here. Yeah, thanks. It was fun.
All right, we'll, we'll wrap it up here and we'll see you guys in December for this series. We will have other episodes not related to this book, but the next chapter in her book is called Focusing on the Bright Spot. So we'll kind of start to unpack that content too. All right, bye, Carrie. Bye, Sam. Bye. bye. Thank you for joining us for our first episode in the new Onward series for Climversations. I am so excited that we get to highlight Elena Aguilar's book because I do think it's going to be helpful for the educators in our system and and in our audience, but as well as those of y'all that are not in the education sector, because these are all lessons that we can learn. I hope you're walking away with information on how to navigate the negative mindsets that come with life in general, but especially while we're in this pandemic, overcoming that disillusionment that can set in getting rid of the martyrdom that can plague our mindsets when we're stressed out, angry, upset, fearful, etc., busy, and really diving into what our body physically needs to be taken care of in order to cultivate success in these situations. Learning to say no, diving into perfectionism and addressing those situations and just striving for balance so we can be successful. Like I said in the episode, I highly recommend getting the book. There's a lot of areas we did not cover from this chapter. And the workbook has so many valuable resources for anyone to work through these different content ideas that we'll be going over in each episode. We will, like I said, be releasing a new series episode each month. And we can't wait to see you soon. Until next time, here's to taking our learning and transforming the world.